Hey, what's going on, folks? Welcome back to the Graphic Design is Fun podcast. My name's Dan. Happy spring. Spring has sprung. Uh, weather is beautiful here in Toronto. Uh, all right, what's up? Today, we are chatting with the one and only, the notorious. I don't know if he's notorious. I think he's a little bit notorious. Mitch Goldstein, designer, associate professor at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And he's also a student. Um, actually, by the time you're hearing this, he, he may have graduated, but uh, Mitch is, is or was doing a master's in furniture design. And uh, yeah, I believe he's very close to being done. But on top of all that, Mitch is now a published author. His new book, How to Be a Design Student, parentheses, and How to Teach Them, close parentheses, is all about how to make the most of your time in design school. And I really, really liked this book um, more than I even thought I was going to. And just couldn't help thinking the whole time that I wish I had it when I was a student. And I, I, mean, I mean this, I'm not just saying this, I don't know, to be nice or whatever. And hey, don't take my word for it. Michael Beirut, a uh, very famous designer also, gave it a, a glowing review. But no, genuinely, I, I think this book is great. Obviously, it's a great resource to students who, who are currently studying design. But I think for someone who's on the fence about whether or not they should go to design school, uh, I, I would recommend this book very, very strongly. I think Mitch, you know, as someone who is a professor himself, you know, is, is still totally upfront and realistic about the fact that going to design school is not the only way you can totally have a career certainly as a graphic designer you know learning from youtube and books and and websites like skillshare which are very very uh, affordable so you know it's 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 not an easy question for anybody uh and i and i really think that yeah if you're someone who's maybe in high school or wh wh wherever you are in life and you're debating you know if you should go to school for design, uh, give this book a read. I definitely think it will give you some good insights and, and perspectives to consider. Um, man, but me and Mitch, we had a great, great chat, uh, or I certainly enjoyed it. Mitch is a, a pretty funny dude. I, I, I do imagine that on top of his uh, sort of wisdom in terms of design education also would just be a good teacher because he's just a fun guy. Um, we, we, we talk about all kinds of things in, in this episode. We talk a little bit about the process of writing his book, his foray into furniture design. Um, but we mostly talk about kind of the, the various concepts that he brings up in the book, um, such as the difference between education and training. We talk about why Mitch uses the words art and design basically interchangeably. Uh, we talk about what Mitch calls you-ness, which is basically how much of your sort of personality, your fingerprint is visible or should be visible in your work as a designer. Um, yeah, lots of, I guess, uh, controversial topics, you could say, as, as far as graphic design goes. But Mitch is uh, just a really thoughtful guy, and, and I appreciate his nuance. He, he has strong opinions, but he's he's got nuance and is very kind of just logical and and, and reasonable and uh, 
Smart guy with uh, a lot of wisdom. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, Mitch Goldstein. All right, Mitch Goldstein, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. How's it going? It's going great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You you recently published a, a book called How to Be a Design Student. Got it, got it right here. Oh, Thank do you, you mean this book right here? Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. How, how long has it been out now? Like only a uh, week? Or? It came out the seventh. So six days, basically. Yeah. Nice. Catching me right at the start. Yeah. And, and how's the book launch uh, going overall? You know, I'll tell you, I have absolutely no context for any of this. So according to my publisher, very well. Okay. And I have to trust that they're not lying to me or that they're <laughs> lying to me in a way to make me feel good either way. Yeah. But, but apparently we are happy. True. <laughs> so I have no idea. Okay. Nice. And cause yeah, you, you, it's, this is your first book, I guess, right? Oh you, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, oh, what yeah. do you mean? Oh yeah. It was this. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, it was never on my radar, like really writing a book. The only other, I'm going to use the word book very loosely. I did was my, my first master's thesis, which I did for graphic design at VCU in Richmond. So I made a book, but it was like I printed five, you know, right, right, right. Um, it was not published. There's no ISBN number or anything like that. So this is the first like actual published real book that like a person could go buy. Man, congrats. And it's crazy. Thank you. Yeah. It's um really like amazing and weird and awesome and and like what the hell is happening kind of all at the same time. Yeah. So if I understand correctly, like the, the publisher approached you and said, Hey, do you want to write a book? Mm -hmm. And you just yeah. said, sure. It was super weird. It was basically on Twitter. So this was, I, I don't want to misrepresent the dates. I think this was like 2018-ish where um, this guy, Paul Wagner, who's the art director for Princeton Architectural Press, um, basically messaged me on Twitter saying, hey, we like your tweets. Do you want to write a book? And my first thought was like, okay, who's messing with me? This is very funny. Ha ha. <laughs> um, and then I realized it was actually this person who was a real person and I said, absolutely. Like, I have no business writing a book, but of course. Um, and I went down to Hudson Valley where they're at and uh, met with Paul and then Jennifer Thompson, who is the my sort of editor, the senior editor. And we had a lunch and we talked about what they were into on my sort of Twitter, like what I was saying. I, at this point, had sort of done no real heavy thinking about what a book could look like for me. It was more just like a theoretical conversation. And we kind of hashed it out a little bit. And it was really, we're all kind of on the same page, but I was not going to write like an academic text with footnotes and, you know, references. I was not going to do a book that had like 10,000 images in it from other people. It was just not what I was going to do. I wanted to make a book that was actually readable. That was something people could really buy and like really pick up. Even if they were 15, 16, 17 in high school, thinking about school, I want something that their parents could theoretically pick up and understand kind of what was going on. Mm. And I wanted something that would be, I hope, useful and applicable to teachers, to faculty. And we sort of agreed on that. We all agreed that's what it should be. I said, this is going to be in a conversational tone of voice. This is not going to be super hoity-toity. And they were like, yes, yeah, you know, we all agreed on everything. And then four years later, I eventually wrote a book. <laughs> it took like... I think it took a couple of years of back and forth, sort of once every few months. It just was kind of um, took a while to get kind of spun up. Right. And I remember signing the contract, you know, digitally, but signing off the contract that said I would do this and thinking, oh, shit, <laughs> I now have to do like it's no longer a talking thing. I now have to execute this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I spent, you know, 
like a year, like six, eight months, just kind of not writing, but thinking I'm writing like, oh, I'll write and open a document and then like watch Breaking Bad again, or like <laughs> open a document and like redo my bookshelf, you know, like all the like totally archetypal procrastination moves everybody does. Of course. And then I think eventually about a year out from my deadline, I really sat at actually writing it. Like I, I, I have a document with, you know, an outline and stuff. And the way I eventually got through it was to give myself like a daily word count goal of like 500 words, which is very small, you know, very reasonable. And that was how I actually got to where I kind of needed to get. And then there was editing for about a year and editing and design. So I think I submitted the manuscript like New Year's Eve of 2021. And then it was about a year of edits and back and forth. And here we are. Here we are. That, that, that's interesting about the uh, the 500 word count idea i i feel like that's a good analogy that applies to so many things like for sure i mean there's always going to be different strategies for like how you get stuff done but sometimes it's like how can i make this an everyday thing and break it down and that's really what it's good if you say somebody write a book that's impossible like writing right. a book if my project is write a book that is an impossible project that not cannot be accomplished but if you say you've got to do about thirty thousand words you've got about a year there's edits, blah, blah, blah. What can you do reasonably? And I think I started out with, um, I think I said 2000 words a week. And that was like too, too abstract of a number. It was like too big. Mm. And so eventually what I got to was if I can crank out 500 words a day and notice I did not say good words a day, just words like this, yeah. did not have to be good quality was not a conversation. Um, then I was feeling pretty good. Like I would end the day feeling like, okay, you know, I got that. And of course I did it at like 1030 at night, right before bed, because that's just how my brain works. And so I got through kind of a pretty crappy first draft. There's this great um, book called Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott that anybody who's written a book has probably read. And she talks about how the first draft should suck, that you should intentionally try to make a shitty, she literally calls it a shitty first draft. That's not like my phrase. And just this idea that you got to just get it out, just get it on the page. Don't worry about quality. Don't worry about goodness. Don't worry about all the grammar. Right. So I kind of got that first draft and then I went back through it a few times and kind of refined it and it went to, you know, like seven or eight editors kind of put their eyes on it before it gets printed. So, yeah. Yeah. And Michael Beirut. Yeah. Michael is an amazing person. Um, he, I don't know what I've done to earn his respect, but it's, it's so beyond appreciated. I can never thank Michael enough. He just, he and I are just, we're not like, we haven't hung out and drank together, but we're like friendly, you know, we haven't partied together, but we are friendly. Um, he's been super supportive. I, I, I've had him talk to my classes. He's like just an amazing, incredibly generous human being. I'm just ignoring his design chops, but beyond all that stuff, he's just a wonderful person, very generous. And um, he's obviously done some books with Princeton Architectural Press. And we sort of talked to him about, you know, writing a blurb and he, he agreed. And I mean, the blurb he wrote is just like, I was in tears. Like it was the most flattering thing anybody's ever said. Like I'm not being, I was literally tearing up. It was the most flattering thing anybody's ever said about me. Uh, and so just to have somebody like that be like, yes, this is really something like this isn't bullshit. Like you really wrote something that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And then the other people are all people I know personally, and I, they were lucky enough to get people to kind of give it a read and give some feedback on it, which was great. So pretty, pretty amazing, pretty unbelievable experience, really. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds like, um, and I appreciate your honesty and being like, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, oh, it, yeah. it kind of just happened and I procrastinated and, you know, very, very mm -hmm. kind of a candid look at, at what, what really goes on, but sounds like an adventure. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and act like it was easy. It was not, it was a nightmare. 
Um, <laughs> what I realized is that writing a book sucks, but having written a book feels fantastic. Mm. Honestly, I feel the same way with uh, e even this podcast, honestly, even yeah. small things. Sometimes I'm like, when it's done, you'll be so happy you, you did it. But mm -hmm. in the moment, you're kind of like, what am I doing? I'm a fraud. Yeah, Everything's exactly. falling apart. And, and I love process. So for me, it's all about process. But the process of writing a book was not a fun process. That was not a process I enjoyed. But I got it. You know, I did it. I got yeah. there eventually. So yeah. And, and going back to you saying, you know, hoping to create something that, that's useful, like reading this book for just me personally, and I mean, I, I'm not Michael Beirut, so hey, you know. The, <laughs> yeah. you, I, don't I appreciate your thoughts the same, though. I, I just couldn't stop thinking, man, I, I really wish I had this when I was in school. Like, I really, truly do. I, I, there's something about, and it's not even, honestly, it's not even that I necessarily agree with every single point you bring up. Right, right, It's right. more just like the the sentiment and the, the just the, the approach you take in sort of saying like, some of these things are not so black and white and just the, the messiness of it all and acknowledging the, the messiness yeah. of it. I, I hope people read it because I think as a student, you're going to be like, I don't know, just kind of more forgiving of of yourself yeah. and more kind of, uh, especially for you, for younger people mm -hmm. that, that really, I, I think allows you to be like, I'm here to learn. And the, the professors just might not even know, you know, what, what they're doing any, any more than I do. Um, and, and let's just take it, take it as an experience and, and, and take it all as it comes. I don't know if that made any sense. I mean, I love to hear that because that's really the idea. I, I, I think it's quite clear in the book and about chapter, like even in like the preface that I personally don't see a whole lot of fact in art and design. I think it's a lot more opinion in, in maybe even in design more so than fine art. There's more sort of established guidelines. There's precedent, but like there are very few hard facts, like like binary facts that are just straight up direct. And I think that we we as humans like yeses and nos. Right. We don't like maybes that much or I don't knows or could be's. Like we yeah, don't really yeah, like yeah. like yes, this is right. No, that is not. If you watch any any like how to do stuff YouTube, like like I do a lot of woodworking stuff on YouTube and cooking stuff. And every time they do, you'll see the comments. It's always like, exactly what tool is that? Exactly how long was that? Whatever. Exactly what material did you use for that? Exact, you know, it's, I want hard absolutes so I can then yeah. sort of duplicate that. Right. And that is not how this works in my opinion at all. Like almost no percent of it works like that. <laughs> and so yeah. that's what I wanted to convey that like, this is not an abs, this is not a black and white major. Like if you like, right and wrong you're not gonna be happy with this like this this, yeah. this discipline is not gonna make you feel good yeah I, I like the word absolutes like kind of just dispelling that like there's not as many absolutes as as you might think and as you might hope mm -hmm. for like you, you you might be coming in here and, and i like i really like when you make the distinction between training and education yeah that's like a, a wording that i think i'll will definitely stick with me because it's a it's a great distinction that you make and mm -hmm. like you say, some people might come into design school and what they're looking for, what they think they're looking for is training. Can you talk right. a bit about what you mean by the difference in training? Yeah, and so I mean, it, so a lot of this is unfortunately semantics, which is stupid, but we communicate in words. So it has to kind of come to semantics to some extent. But I think of training as different than education. I don't think one is inherently better. 
So I want to preface this by not saying I'm digging on people who just want training. Like it's not wrong. To me, training is how to do a specific thing, whereas education is how to do anything in this kind of discipline. So if you want to learn how to just flow text into InDesign and sort of punch a clock and have a very straightforward design job, which is fine and completely legit and totally respectable and not a problem, maybe you don't really need education. You more want to be trained in how to sort of sort of execute tasks well. Um, I obviously am a, having a deeper dive here, right? I'm more into it than that. So for me, I wanted education, which is really sort of almost like how to do anything. It's almost like training is how to do stuff that exists and education is how to do stuff that does not yet exist. In a sense, I know, again, these are kind of word salads to some respect, but for me, I am more in design as almost like a holistic practice versus a paycheck. And again, nothing wrong with a paycheck. Totally yeah. legit. I think people think I'm dismissing that when I talk about it. I'm really not. If you want to wake up, go to your job at nine, go home at five, five days a week, and then spend time with your friends and your family and your kids, that's incredible. Do that. And so I think that we... We, the industry, and we, especially higher ed, pitch it like this is the only way to do it. You've got to get a four-year degree. Like, that's it. And it just isn't. It is a way to do it. It is a way I personally find very valuable and very gratifying, and it helped me tremendously. But it's not the only way. And literally, the preface of my book is, should you buy the book? Like, should you even bother reading this book? Why don't I just go to YouTube? And I kind of talk about how they're both legit, like they're both valid. And I think a student should be doing both, not either. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. If you can afford and you're fortunate enough to be able to go to a college for four years and get a bachelor's degree, the YouTube stuff doesn't e not exist anymore. It's just an added thing for you. It gives you more context to stuff that you can't get in four years, you know? And so that's yeah. the idea. I think it's just about what your sort of what your sort of hug of the industry is? Do you want like a little tiny hug that's very simple, or do you want like more of a bigger, weird group hug? And you're kind of interested in all of it, kind of moving around. Again, right, neither right. is right or wrong. It's yeah. just kind of what you want. Yeah, and I think that helps answer the question, which is very difficult to answer, which is like, should I even go to design school? Do we even need this with the resources right. that are available online? Well, maybe not if you just are looking for training, like, you know, yeah. if, if you think about the, these definitions and it's like probably for some people who may get into design through YouTube, maybe in high mm -hmm. school, they kind of you, you get you start with the training and then maybe for some people you realize that there's a whole world out there and you're like, oh, yeah. you know, maybe I do want the deep dive. Maybe I do want to really explore this. Exactly. And, and I come at this from experience. This is not me like looking down from the ivory tower. Like when I started out, I had failed out of architecture school when I was 21 or 22, you know, like normal college age. Interesting. Um, and I kind of knew I just dicked around doing retail. Like I wasn't doing anything interesting. I was just making enough money to like barely scrape by kind of paycheck to paycheck, selling computers, doing a lot of retail stuff. I waited tables, you know, all the stuff you do. And I was very lucky enough, a friend, um, this guy, Jason, opened up a small design studio with myself and a couple of other people I was working on. Like, this is how old this was. I was working on Flash animation. Like, that's how old school okay. this was. Okay, I, I used Flash when I was really young. Yeah. I used Flash. And and it was great. And it was amazing. And I love that I got to do that. But I realized real quick, I was just hitting a ceiling. My work, I just couldn't progress past a sort of relatively superficial level of work. I, I just couldn't get it deeper. I don't know how to, it's really hard to explain like in words. I just, it was just like, ugh. it was like, I was like frustrated by the limits of my intelligence in some respects. Um, and what I eventually kind of started realizing was it really wasn't my intelligence. It was my education or my lack thereof. For me, 
for me, Mitch, it wasn't enough. I was just hitting a, a ceiling that I was pissed off was I was hitting. And so for me, it was worth the leap. And, you know, I was lucky enough. My dad sat me down one day. He's like, why don't you go back to school? And I'm like, why don't you not be an asshole? And then he's like, no, seriously, why don't you think about this? And I really did look into it. And obviously I did, you know, get to go back. And for me, that was like such a life-changing event. It wasn't just a degree. It completely altered my entire path as a human being. Like it totally changed it. So when people say to me, what did you think of your time in undergrad? I'm like, I don't have a fair view on that because to me, it was a completely life-changing reality. Like it wasn't just I got a degree. It altered everything I was doing in a way that was really profound. And to me, it was like kind of a, a gift. Like, yeah, I worked to get in there. But for me, it was a gift that I could get to do this. And I'm, I don't want to sound super cheesy about it, but I'm hoping to give the gift back a little bit. Like, I hope this book can maybe give that back to some people, maybe help them make a decision a little sooner, maybe help clarify what, you know, could or could not happen sort of in the classroom. I don't know. That might be a little altruistic of me. That's my theory. That's what I'm hoping the kind of read is. I, I'm curious, like your, when you studied graphic design, when you went back to school, mm -hmm. obviously you're saying you had a great experience, but like, did you feel like you had teachers who uh, if if they saw this book, they they would agree with it, or w yeah. was it a lot of kind of the old fat? No, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I was so I went to RISD. I think I started in like like the summer of two thousand three and graduated in sort of the spring of two thousand six. Um, and I certainly had faculty I didn't like. I and this is you know RISD, which I'm not flexing by saying I went to. I'm just being that's where I went. Yeah, you're, you're flexing. Um, yeah, I'm flat. Okay, maybe a tiny <laughs> little. You know. Anyway. Um, I had teachers that I hated and I had teachers that I thought had no business teaching, quite honestly, not a lot, couple, but I had teachers where I'm like, I don't know how you're doing this. Like, I don't know how they're paying you to do this because you are just not good at this. Now, maybe that was me personally being a little older, having had some more life experience than the average 18, 19 year old, having been around the block a little bit, having worked shitty jobs and made no money. Like I had some context for it where I was like, this could be really amazing, blah, blah, blah. But the vast majority of the teachers I had, I think, would very much agree with the book, or at least much of the book. Um, I've had, in fact, a few of my teachers tell me how much they appreciate the book, um, including some very influential people. Nancy Skolos and Tom Waddell at RISD were my mentors for my whole time there. Um, Matt Monk is another really, really important person I had at RISD. And like they helped shape who I am in terms of being an educator and a practitioner. And for them to say this is working is just like... There's no, I don't, I mean, I appreciate Michael Beirut very much, but that's the compliment. Right. These people who saw me come from zero or from nothing and help me shape this idea. And then to look back and go, yep, you know, you got it. Like, yes, this mm -hmm. is making, you know, what you're saying, not every single sentence, but like I, basically what you're saying is doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate. Like that yeah, was yeah. like, oh, thank God. Like I got something kind of going on here. Um. Yeah. So, so I want to talk about some different concepts, I guess, that, that you bring up in the book. Sure. The, the distinction between education and training, I think, is interesting. Another thing you mention, which is also sort of two words, is is the idea of pushing and pulling, which I, I right. really liked. And as I'm saying it right now, I forget what they even mean, but I have it written down. But wait, <laughs> it'll come to me. Or you can just explain it. I can clarify. So, yeah. So, there's, so I talk about in the book of this idea of um, sort of how you get educated as a student and that often what you come from, especially out of high school, it's a lot more of a, I'm the teacher, I know the stuff, you're the student, you don't know the stuff, so you learn the stuff I say, and then you sort of say it back to me in a way that gets you an A 
you know, or an F or whatever, right? And I would call that pushing. I I have I teacher have knowledge. You student need knowledge. I sort of shove this stuff onto you, and right. you kind of absorb. Hopefully, absorb some of it. Pulling, which is really the harder thing to do, is as the student, you need to take from the teachers. You need to pull the knowledge from them. What you can't do is just sit back and just let the genius sort of wash over you like a wave. That is just not how this works. This is an active kind of major. Like you have to actively learn. You can't passively learn. And so pushing is a little more passive. You sort of sit back and let stuff get pushed onto you. Pulling is more active on the part of the student. You, the student, have to grab. You have to ask questions. You have to try stuff. You have to take risks. You have to do this stuff. And so I think a good designing school experience is really both. It isn't just pulling. Like that would make no sense. You do need some kind of relatively direct instruction to just learn some basic skills. Right. But especially as you get higher and higher in your career and higher and higher in your years, you know, as you get to hit junior, senior year, you got to do a lot more pulling as a student. You got to be curious. You got to ask. You got to grab. You got to take from the teachers. You got to also take from your other students. You got to take from the pro. You got to take from all these things. And that's something that a lot of, I think a lot of students, especially freshmen, don't understand that's kind of how it works. And and I, you know, very famously, and this is not me being amusing, this is something that happens every semester in my class, I'll have students come up and say, okay, you gave us the assignment, what if I tried blah, blah, blah? And I'll go, that's a really good question. Any other questions? Like, I right, will not answer it, answer, and I make yeah. it a point to not answer it. Like, I be, I do it funny, you know, but, but there's a reason, and I'm not kidding, I will not answer the question. Mm. Um, I always get asked if I will show previous work, and I said, absolutely not, ever. I will never show how other students did a project. That's not the idea here ever. And so I think for me, at least over time, as I've gotten better and better at teaching, I believe I've gotten better and better at teaching. Um, I've learned to really do that like instantaneously on day one, like, like as soon as possible to force the students to have to reconcile with that kind of choice. Like they have no option in my classes, but to make choices for themselves. And some of them don't like that. Yeah. Well, I, I wow, I'm, I'm happy you brought up the point of not showing previous students' work. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it, but that was definitely something that w w when I was in school, it's like, well, let's look at the projects that people did last year for some inspiration. But kind of what you what you're what you can't help but want sometimes as a student is like a recipe for like, how do, how am I going to get this thing done? How do I, how am I going to yeah. do this assignment? And then it just kind of gives you all the answers or it gives you too many answers Ooh. that you should probably have thought about yourself. And you would have made way more interesting work if you had right. nothing to go off of. I mean, you brought up the I word inspiration, which to me is like the F word. It, okay. It's a word I don't believe in. It's a word I don't think exists because I don't think what students think I got a project the teacher's going to show us how they did it the last five years. That's inspiration. Or I have to do a logo for a whatever, a boating company. I'm going to go Google boating company logo, and I'm going to yeah. see a hundred logos. And that's inspiration. That is not inspiration. That is context. That is reference. That is somebody else sort of pre-thought this idea for you. And you are sort of looking at those ideas and you're going to kind of steal little bits of it and make your own thing. That is not inspiration at all. I think that is the wrong use of the term. To me, that is just reference, which is, is good and not incorrect or invalid, but it's reference. Mm. To me, inspiration comes, inspiration is an internal process that happens when you think and make. That is what inspiration is. That other stuff where you Google how to do a, a logo for a boat is not inspiration, it's reference. And the problem with this is, is I think people kind of conflate the two. 
And so if you've got to do a logo for something and you just look how other people did it, of course, you're going to be influenced by that. You can't not kind of do that. Like you, you've seeded your brain to do that. Whereas if instead of that, you take a walk or you make a really elaborate meal or a really dumb meal or something, or you just have any experience that is not how to make a boat logo, that stuff feeds into your brain. It sort of ferments in there like yeasty dough. It bubbles, it fizzes and stuff. And eventually what comes back out is your interpretation of the project. That to me is inspiration. The sort of bubbling, fermenty, fizzy bit in your brain. That's the inspiration. The other stuff is just existing pre-thought ideas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I like that. I, I like that yeah. idea. Um, you probably write that in your book. Maybe I didn't get to that. I part. do indeed. Okay. Let's see what chapter it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is, you'll get there. Um, there is a chapter on it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It, it reminds me of like, I don't know who said it, some like famous filmmaker that's like, if, if you want to if you want to learn to be a filmmaker, you should... Uh, learn to speak Japanese and, uh, you know, learn boxing, just kind of like different weird experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that will make you a better filmmaker. And it, it totally applies to design it as well. You need Absolutely. experiences and you need things to draw from that aren't looking at a graphic design book because exactly. that's, yeah. Exactly. yeah. And yeah, the, the reference thing's interesting too. Maybe sometimes, and I was going to say, I do this. I don't, I don't know if I do this. Maybe I should do this, but like, you, you hold off on the references until a later stage. You still look at them, but only once you've truly done some doing. Yeah. And then you say, okay, let's look at the references. Maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe there's something I can learn from them. But if you do it right off the bat, maybe you're going to kind of kill any original idea that, that you were going to have. And, and, the pro and I agree with you. And the part of that comes from this, this notion, which makes perfect sense when I say it out loud, that as a designer or as an artist or a creative person, I use art and design interchangeably. I don't, the words don't matter. As someone who makes stuff, you have an idea and then you make stuff. And that is the sort of very understandable way of working. What I learned partially from Nancy Scullis and Tom Waddell was you can make stuff and then have an idea, which sounds like it. How is that possible? But what you do is you just evacuate all the bullshit out of your head and you just start making stuff. You just grab whatever. You just start digital, physical, whatever. For me, it's physical. For other people, it's digital. It doesn't matter. And what that stuff will do is, again, because it's been like sort of processed through your brain, is it sort of has some inherent you-ness in it, you know? And those things can be like, oh, that was kind of a cool shape. What if that was this thing? Or, oh, that method I used for getting that form was really interesting. The next time I have to do something about whatever underwater, that would be a cool whatever the hell it is, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, when you kind of understand that you don't have to like sit down and just like define everything first, which is kind of, I think, how we often teach. If you sort of give yourself the luxury of not doing that, I think you can get to so many other places with the work that is so much more interesting. Original is a word that is very loaded, but I would say it is yeah. less predictable, sure, less yeah. kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and to me, as a teacher and, and as someone who wants to make students make good stuff, when they kind of click into that, that gets a really important moment. You can kind of see their eyes go, ooh, so you mean I don't have to know what I'm doing first? I can just do. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly correct. Yeah. No, that's another yeah, b beautiful idea that, that you ex express so well in the book. Um, and just to reiterate, like, yeah, like it's not necessarily the only way to do things is to like think the idea and then once you have it you you start making it right just start making stuff just experiment just play around 
and an idea can come from that and it's uh it's 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 not think then make necessarily mm-hmm. could could be the opposite or they can kind of you know influence each other exactly exactly yeah you, you brought up the word you-ness which uh i don't know debate is the right word but people have differing opinions on levels of you what are you laughing at because <laughs> it's just so, yeah i agree i agree people yeah. get very uptight about this yeah well i yeah what we're talking about is like um how much of you, who you are, your own experiences, your personality, whatever your kind of personal touch should be visible, kind of you can see your fingerprint in the work that you make as a designer versus, you know, every client needs something different. And so the, the work is removed from who I just so happen to be and is just going to be whatever is going to best suit the client. And, you know, I think the, the, there's things to be said on, on either side, but I, I like what you say about um embracing Eunice and I not not to speak for you but I think there's a certain like it's kind of inevitable it's just kind of unavoidable maybe is the right word yeah I think that we again we we and I say the colloquial we we educators sort of pitch this idea a lot where the designer isn't in their work because as quote I'm air quoting for people who can't see me design quote is about sort of the client's needs and, and the user's needs. And then other people come back and say, art, quote, is about my, the artist's needs. And again, those are words I've chosen to just not waste my time defining. I don't care. Um, my belief, and I understand that idea that the designer's sort of voice or their fingerprint is not on the work because it isn't about the designer, it's about the client. I agree with that, but... Part of why the client is hiring you instead of the person next to you is because of how you sort of translate abstract stuff into visual form. That's kind of what a designer does amongst other things. I like this word translation a lot. We sort of gather in abstract stuff. Maybe the client has a business doing whatever and we sort of say, oh, tell me what that business is about. Oh, you do this and this and I'm kind of just sucking it all in. I'm pulling it in. And then I mix it up in my brain and I sort of put out a visual idea. And only you can make that set of decisions that lead to that outcome. I am being hired because I have a unique version of how I translate versus the person next to me versus the other person. And that is really important. And I think when you lose that and you try to make your work be sort of neutral, I think what you get is almost like high modernism, which is really about this idea of a machine. You know, the the modernists describe architecture as a machine for living you know, which is how they approached it, which when you look at modern architecture, and I'm talking capital M modernism architecture, makes perfect sense, right? I don't personally, again, this is my opinion. I personally don't buy that. It's just not interesting to me. I want to see the touch of the designer. I want to see the designer's um, personality, their likes, their loves, their hates, their beliefs, their disbeliefs. I personally believe design is not neutral at all, ever. And you as a designer have an opinion on everything from what fonts you like to what the world should be like or shouldn't be like. Yes. To me, that all comes through in the work. I, and I don't think you should pretend it doesn't. I think that's actually super important. Yeah. Maybe the most important. Well, and actually, it's interesting you bring up like modernism because hearing you say that, it's almost like, and maybe, uh, you know, if, 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 if we were in the room with the modernists, they, 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 would, uh, they wouldn't want to hear it. But it's, it's almost like, yeah, well, your work is showcasing your beliefs about how you think the world should be. So it's actually not probably as neutral as they might think or 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 hope that that their work is, because it's like, I, 
like the fact that they want it to be neutral is like a reflection of their own beliefs about how things should be. So it's almost like exactly. you just can't avoid it. It's going to have your It's touch. inherent. Yeah. yeah. It's inherent. Exactly. Quickly, because you, you, you mentioned this now once or twice, and, and I know you said you don't like to, you know, waste time on it, which is why I think it can be quick, but art and design, people struggle with these two things as two yeah. different things, or what's the exact definition? Like, what's the difference between graphic design and art? And I'm not even necessarily asking what, what, what you think the difference is, but uh, why do you not bother to even really make a distinction or care? Because, and I want to clarify by saying I love designers and I love the field. I'm ostensibly a quote graphic designer, although that is also kind of up for debate at this point. But I think that designers tend to be arrogantly insecure about our roles in society. <laughs> we think we can change the world. We know all this stuff. We have these really intense educations. We have all the skill, but God forbid you, you know, look on Fiverr for a logo or something, you know, or you do something where you just ask a, a, a designer to work for free for exposure. Like, how dare you offend my brilliance as a designer by asking me to do that, you know? And it's this like arrogance, but also this like massive insecurity we have about sort of where we sit in the world. Okay, I'm with you on this. Yeah, you know, we just do. And again, I'm equally, I'm maybe more guilty than a lot of people. Like, I'm very guilty of this too. Um. And so when I think like as designers, we don't like this, the A word, the art word for some reason, because we almost feel like quote design is quote commercial or it's more applicable or it's more profitable. And if you come to me, like I have had people say to me, Mitch, about my work, oh, that looks like just art. And I kind of first want to say fuck off. But the second thing I say is thank you. Like, I appreciate that. That's good. For me, that is a transcendent level of work that I want to get to that really high level. But I think what it really comes down to is it's almost more not about um, um, an, an acceptance as a dismissiveness. Like, oh, if that's just art, that doesn't count because I'm a designer. Or if I'm a designer and I'm working with a client, that isn't art because it's not about me struggling in a cabin or whatever the bullshit myth is about all this stuff. And so, again, I say this right in the book, and this is, I'll say it again here, this is for me personally, those definitions are a waste of my time. I don't care about the words. They don't help me get further. It doesn't help me clarify what I'm thinking about on a given day with whatever I'm making. And it's just like semantic bullshit. That's just a waste of time. So if somebody feels good about saying, I'm not an artist, I'm a designer, or vice versa, then that's awesome. Shut up and let me see your work, and then we can have a conversation about it. And so again, it's just like dumb mythology for no reason. It just doesn't get you anywhere, you know. Again, one guy's opinion. <laughs> I'm not necessarily. No, I like it. I, 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 I am. Um, I, I think it's a it's a kind of interesting topic because if you're truly like a beginner and you don't know what people mean by the the difference of art and design, I remember being confused at some point or whatever when I was in high school, being like, "What do people even? How, how is it different?" And then you kind of. Yeah. You, you're told the sort of phase one definition of like, oh, well, you know, design is this and art is this. So now you understand the difference. But then as you get further into it, you realize that there are many, many, many gray areas. And then as you get further into it, you're like, the whole thing's a gray area. There's not, yeah, you, you, there's no point where, where you can cut off the two. It, that, that being exactly. said, for sort of practical reasons, we do it all the time. And, you know, right. that's just how language and, and again, if I them. say to somebody out there with money who wants a thing, 
I'm a designer, there's a sort of social understanding of what that means, even though we don't really get it, but just in a very broad umbrella sense. Yeah. We understand kind of what I mean. And if I say I'm an artist, we sort of understand kind of what I mean. But again, I think it's more about your own personal sort of processing of these terms. If they help you, great. If it helps you be better at whatever you're doing, then that's awesome. Then use the words all day. For me personally, it gets in the way. Yeah, It's just a barrier that like doesn't add anything for me. It just irritates me. So I just eliminated the barrier. Like I don't mm-hmm. care. Like I don't care about the terms. It doesn't matter. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you even quickly mentioning, you know, whether or not you're saying that you're a graphic designer is a totally accurate uh, definition. I guess, segue into just me asking about you studying furniture design. Like you're yeah. currently a student as well as a right. teacher. Yeah. Basically I got, I got tenure in, um, I should really know this, but like about four ish years ago, three years ago, whatever it was. Um, and I'd always kind of said jokingly to myself, like if I ever hit the lottery, if I hit Powerball one day, I'm just going to go to get master's degrees forever. Like I'm just going to keep going to school because I love there's so much about it I love. I mean, I love the 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 sort of time frame. I love the obligation. I love the community. I love the mechanics of having critiques. I like having hard deadlines to hit. You know, there's just like so many things about it I love. Mm-hmm. And I realized when I got tenure that I did hit the lottery, that that is hitting Powerball. And I'm very lucky at where I teach at Rochester Institute of Technology. They have a very, very high-end furniture design program, one of the best in the country. And I was very fortunate. I talked to this guy, Andy Buck, who's the chair of the program, kind of talked to the dean of the college, and and I wanted to go back. And after, you know, we made sure it was cool with everybody, and I am essentially a part-time student. Like, it took me four years to get a master's, a two-year degree. Um, And it's just been an amazing opportunity, and it's been really great from both my own creative practice to sort of make work I've never done before. It's a discipline I'm very unfamiliar with, but also as a teacher, And to be a student, not like metaphorically, we're all students, but like literally I'm a student, I'm being graded, I have to show up for class. Yeah. And so that's been really useful for me as both a maker and an educator. Like, like there's double dip for me. It's a bonus in two ways. And it's been incredible. It's been, it's an incredible program. It's a, it's a really, there's not a whole lot of furniture design programs out there. And RITs has got one of the best and it's Mm -hmm. really a pretty unbelievable discipline in a lot of ways. That's super cool. Yeah. And I think just in, in general, it's, it's I, I imagine, satisfying or, or just, I don't know, maybe thrilling even as a designer to be just like into this other field of design and maybe you see some certain connections or, yep. or you know, and it's just um, kind of broadening what the word design means for, for, for you. Exactly. It, it's just opening up my worldview. Yeah. Highly recommend it if you guys can, uh, anybody out there can go back for a master's that you can sort of swing for basically no money. You should definitely do it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, critiques. Critiques, oh, yeah. big thing in uh, in design thing. school. I, you you mentioned this in the book a little bit, but I had I remember when I was a student, I had like such a learning moment because we would do these little critique sessions, and you know maybe there'd be ten people looking at your stuff, and then one one person says a thing, and if if I disagreed with them or if there was like a reason that their suggestion actually wouldn't work i would like explain to them why why they're why that's not really going to work or like why i did it the the way i did and 
you know, I wasn't trying to argue. I was just trying to, um, you know, make sure that we're all on the same page and that people understand what I, where, where I was coming from. And like, yep. um, but I, I remember one of my teachers sort of was like, you know, Dan, like, I, I think people don't want to give you feedback because they don't want you to disagree with them. They, they don't want you to argue <laughs> with them. And I was like, no, no, like, that's not, that's stupid, right? Like, nobody should, should feel that way. And she was like, well, right. that's how they feel. Like, yeah. I, you know, it, it's maybe it's not fully logical, but like when you disagree with everything people say, they don't want to say anything. Yeah. And it was kind of like tough for me for a bit, but eventually I was like, gee, she's so right. Like she's yep. so right. And it actually also applies to plenty of other things in life. But that was like one uh, big kind of critique takeaway for me was like, if somebody says, hey, you know, you should have done it this way and that wouldn't have worked or you think they're wrong, you can just nod and say, thanks for the feedback. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think you have to be receptive to feedback. Yes. But you don't have to care about all of it at all. Yeah, right. You right, are allowed exactly. to ignore any amount of it you want to up to and including what the teacher said as well. And yeah, so I totally see that. I think it's because this isn't about your arrogance or anything like that. It's like you had a reason and you want to clarify why so people understand better. But that's not necessarily what a critique is about. I think a critique more often than not is about people reacting to your work honestly. It's not as much about do it like this. That is what I would call, I think I refer to that as a prescriptive or a corrective critique. Okay. Didn't like this, that's wrong. I think there's some validity there, but I think a lot of critique is tends to be, oh, why don't you do it like this? Make that purple. What if it was Gotham instead of Ritura? Yeah. And it's like very A to B, very like do these 12 things and then you make good work, which is not how it works. Yeah. I think criticism should really be, here's the stuff. What do you think? You know, react. Tell me what you think about it. Tell me how you react to it. And so in my classes, I talk constantly about the feels or the vibe of the work. What does the work say? And a lot of times for like the final pieces, I tend to do a lot of critiques in small groups. So not every student has seen every project everybody's doing by the time it's done. Mm -hmm. And so I like to do those final critiques as basically like you, the artist, you're not allowed to say a word. We are going to react to what you did. And the critique is just people saying this feels like it's angry or this feels we, you know, and it's not about, I think the font is a point too big, although that does come up. It's much more of about, here's what I think the work is saying to me, the viewer, right. is this what you want the work to say designer person? And that's actually like a really useful moment where you're like, oh shit, I thought that was a happy thing, but people are reading it as sarcastic or whatever it is. Right, right. And that's like super important. And I think you got to be just receptive. And just like you said, you can nod and go, thank you for your feedback and then completely ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally fine. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. yeah the, the prescriptive cr yeah. critiques. I, I think maybe uh, Jerry Seinfeld or some comedian had said about, if you're a comedian, like you should listen to people's feedback. If they say, oh, I didn't really like this, this part or I didn't like this joke, like that is very, very legitimate. But if they start telling you like, maybe you could try saying this instead, it's like, no, 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 the, 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 that's almost certainly not going to be helpful advice. But whether they like it or not, or how they receive it is really helpful. Um, Very helpful. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Once people start saying you, you should use this, this font instead, or you should make it this color and start actually giving you suggestions. It's like, maybe that's a step too far. They can react. You take that as you will and, and, you know, make the changes that you think are, are appropriate. Yeah, and, and I think there is some 
again, I, I use the term corrective critique. I think there's more of that when it's almost more one-on-one with the educator or one-on-one with your friend kind of looking at your stuff. Right. But I think especially as you get higher and higher in grade level, the correction should become less and less and less until really, I hope it's zero by the time you get to senior year. Because at that point, you have the sort of tangible skills, the sort of base level of ability with type, image, software. Again, I'm a graphic design major, so that's kind of my reference. But, you know, whatever. If you're ID with connections and materials, or if you're interior with space and light, you know, whatever it is, you've got this sort of understanding. And now it's all about nuance and interpretation. And so if I'm looking to get feedback on my work about the nuance and interpretation, and you're like, that should be made out of, you know, purple instead of blue. Well, that's not about nuance and critique. That's about what you think is right. And I don't actually care what you think is right. I care what I think is right because I'm the one making the work. And again, it's all kind of subtle, but I do think that people in design school are generally helpful and we're excited to be there. And it's an amazing life to get to start to live. And we get excited about design. And when we see something we think we can make better, we want to say, just do this and it's better. Yeah, yeah. That isn't necessarily educating. That is just telling. You know, that is pushing once again to do a little callback to earlier, right? Um, And again, it's not invalid. It's not worthless. It's not something you should always ignore, but it's just something to be like, okay, thanks. I'm going to process that and probably not do what you think I should do. I'm going to do what I think I should do. And it's really important to understand that that's okay. And I think when, at least in my classes, when the students start understanding that it's not like I screwed this up, Mitch is going to fix it. Like, I'm not going to fix anything. (laughs) No, that's not what I'm doing there. I think they start to really take the critiques more seriously and they start to get value out of it. And then they start to learn what questions to ask of the people giving the critique. Right. And that's that's another really important moment. I think a lot of critique, and again, I do this for the last time where it's just nobody talks, but the critiquers, but like in an interim crit as the designer, you should go to a crit, not like, what do you think? But like, I'm worried about this. I'm curious what you think about that. Is this the right whatever? Does this feel like this or does it feel, you know, you have very specific things you want to find out and you're doing that by giving people who are giving you feedback specific questions to answer. And that's another part of this methodology that students have to really learn. It takes a while to learn how to do it. Yeah, I think I think this was an article you shared, but it, it was it was on critique and and she she uses the term like you're mining for gold. Like you you want to yeah. get as much out of this critique as you can. So, you know, you you want to encourage it because you might get that gold kind of tidbit or, or a suggestion where you're like, oh, I'm so thankful. You know, maybe yeah. maybe it was half an hour of like just, you know, trying to ignore bad ideas. But you, it's worth it if you get that, that one mm-hmm. piece of feedback that's, that's uh, you know, worthwhile. And, and I think you, you as a student practice how to do that. And you get better, yeah, get better at, at it. You get it, better yeah. at asking the questions that give you what you need. You get better at parsing sort of all the data, so to speak, that people give you. And it takes practice. It just yeah. straight up takes practice. Like it's nobody's good at it on day one. Yeah. It's it's hard thing to learn how to do. All right. Well, I think that's all I got for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was that's super awesome. fun. Thank you for man. having Thanks me. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Graphic Design is Fun podcast. If you want to support the show, you can share it with your friends, share it with your coworkers. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave a five-star review. Any of those things helps a ton. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Oh, and you can follow on Instagram at graphic design is fun. Yeah.